You guys, before these folks leave and as they leave, would you just give them an astronomical round of support and applause? Uh, we got people up here from LA. We've got people like, you know, from all over the far reaches of the nation to take us through uh, the best worship set I think maybe I've ever heard. So thanks guys, thank you. Uh, my name is Ryan, there, there we're, a little, we're a little bit more full than we normally are on a Saturday night and I am not confused as to why that is. I know it's not me, I know it's these guys, uh, but because of that, I wanna just let you know I'm the executive pastor around here. It's my privilege to be able to share with you tonight. And, um, and for those of you who are new or visiting, um, I met a few of you beforehand, it's awesome. And I want you to uh, just get a brief glimpse and understanding where we are. Turn the page, leave the cage is the series where we're in week six and we have looked at, at specific parts of our life and our journey where we need to be gracefully broken just like this last song that we sang in order for us as sincere followers of the Lord Jesus to actually walk out of the grave with Jesus, right? That is turning the page and leaving the cage. It's that concept where we get busy getting real about the places of our character and the parts of our lives that do not look like Jesus wants them to look. And for us to come into the fullness of the life that he offers, we believe as a church collectively that we gotta get serious about getting into each other's business into each other's grills a little bit, into the places and the parts of our life that we, that we don't like to go because it's uncomfortable, because it's vulnerable, because there's disappointment, not only disappointment by others, but there's disappointment in ourselves by ourselves. And so we're gonna do that and we're gonna turn the page on anger and disappointment tonight. Oh, everybody just got super excited. You mean we're gonna talk about anger, huh? Yeah, we do, we have to. And the, the reason we have to is exemplified to me today, all right? Yesterday I started praying, God, break my heart for this subject. Because here's the truth, here's the raw, honest truth. I'm an angry person. I've struggled with it since I was a kid. Rage is so fierce, I'd black out. I wouldn't remember what I had done. And thanks be to God, he rescued me at about 16 and he helped me walk out of the grave. But that anger, that anger's there. That anger's a natural reaction when things don't go my way, when I'm let down, when I feel like my expectations have not happened. And so yesterday I was praying, God, just I need you to break my heart afresh because that's the level of severity of this topic. We as Christians, as the church, unfortunately, have become far too okay with anger and rage in our lives. And it does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. 
And so as a church, we're going to go there. We're going to take this head on. Today, I, I drove out the parking lot. I was headed out for the afternoon. I had finished some things up in the office, pulled into the park next door on my way past Walgreens out to Bowes Road, and I glanced left, and as I glanced left, I saw something that arrested my attention and I gazed, my gaze lingered there and there was a young man probably in his early 20s who, who jumped in front of a moving uh, Chevy Impala. And I saw the, the, the brake lights stop and the car kind of stood up as the driver slammed on their brakes and the face of this young man was just pure fury. And so as I'm pulling past and watching, I, I, I saw him in a very aggressive fashion walk around the car, rip open the passenger door and get inside. And, and what I saw was just made me sick. He started throwing himself against the roof of the car, against the side of the car, against the back of the passenger seat. And as I watched, he reached over and he grabbed the young woman in the car and he began slamming her against the driver's side door. Now, I went for my phone and dialed 911. And as the young lady noticed that I was watching she floored it. She hit the gas, drove past as quickly as she could to get away from the gaze of someone else who was seeing this trauma occur. And so I pulled in behind. I started taking down the license plate and following. And I followed as best I could for a period of time and called 911 and gave them the information. As I followed, they decided to turn it into a high-speed chase, and I decided that probably wasn't a good idea to continue to follow. I hope the officers were able to do something. I hope some help was made available because that is not okay. When our rage begins to damage those around us, and we're gonna join one of the most famous characters in the Bible tonight, and we're gonna look at this, this thing inside himself that he wrestled with the, the entirety of his life. His name is Moses. We're actually gonna join him in chapter 20 of the book of Numbers. It's like the fourth book in. So just start turning kind of through the beginning of those books. And if you've got your device, if you've got your phone, get on your phone. We want to do this together. And as you do that, I want to introduce Moses to you. I'm telling you, uh, turn the page, leave the page, or leave the cage. This guy's life was a page turner. This man is the superhero of the Old Testament. This is the dude that all the little Jewish boys had the, uh, you know, the action figures with the accessories for Moses. Nobody else compared to Moses in their view. Uh, and, and it starts out in very humble beginnings. He's a Hebrew. He's part of a slave nation. He's, he's, he's actually part of a generation where genocide is what the Egyptians decided was the best way to do population control on the Hebrews. They were reproducing too rapidly, blessed by God as the slaves in Egypt. Egypt. And so the, the Pharaoh's edict was, let's kill all the boys in this age range and that'll slow them down. So Moses, his mom, not knowing what else to do, 
She actually takes Moses, puts him in a, in a basket and pushes him out on the Nile. Some of us are shaking our heads because we relate to our parents not knowing what to do with us as kids. And he floats out on the Nile River and by God's grace he is, and God's plan, he's rescued by the daughter of Pharaoh. Guys, it doesn't get much better than being rescued by the daughter of Pharaoh. And, 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 and because he's rescued by the daughter of Pharaoh, he's given an Ivy League education. So he's adopted, but then he gets the absolute world's brightest people building into him, educating him. So he's got an Ivy League education. These are his highlights. He's a prince of Egypt. He gets all the privilege. He gets all the opulence. He gets all the things that the, that the people of Egypt at the very upper echelons of society get. And then he becomes a war hero. He studies war. He's a strategic war hero. He drives the Ethiopian invasion back out of Egypt and is lauded and hailed before, likely before he's even 20 years old. He pulls that off. And then he murders somebody. We'll talk more about that. That's not part of the highlight. That's a low light. Because he murders somebody, he's removed from his position of privilege. And then he becomes a liberator. This guy is a freedom fighter for the people of Israel, for two million slaves. He's a visionary. He saw God in the burning bush and he saw freedom for the Hebrews and he moves into it. He's a prophet. The guy brought down more plagues and more miracles than any other in the scriptures. He is used of God enormously to do catastrophic things and incredible things by the power of God. He's a prophet, he's an author, he's a poet. He's a writer. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, replete with poems, replete with songs. I'm a little jealous of the guy at this point. He's got a lot of talent. He's got a lot of things going for him. He's a judge. He literally recorded the Ten Commandments from God and developed a system of laws for the people of Israel. Read that. That's Leviticus sometimes. You won't be jealous of him anymore after you read that book. He's a pastor of the Old Testament, the pastor of the Old Testament, the people of God listening and learning from God and teaching the people how to follow. And finally, I just wanna say, he's a leader extraordinaire. He, he, he is the guy I would teach leadership conferences about. He leads the people through so much and he does such an incredible job. Now, those, that's his resume and a little bit of his pedigree. But remember I told you he's adopted. Moses' lowlights are these, confusion. This dude dealt with ethnic confusion and uncertainty about his heritage and his people for decades of his life frustrating confusion. Who am I? Am I one of these Hebrews and these slaves or do I belong in the palace? And then, and then I told you the adoption, he is raised and educated by the brightest minds of the courts of Egypt, but he is not fathered there. He's unfathered and he's unfinished. And I believe out of the, that confusion and that lack of fathering came this, this desperate insecurity. 
this incredible inferiority that he felt and it manifests itself through his life in his conversations with God. He's a workaholic, derives great pleasure, great self-worth from his work, works constantly, gets to a certain point where he's, where he's leading the uh, Israelites through the desert and his father-in-law Jethro comes to him and says, dude, you gotta set up a leadership structure. You are on your way to burnout. Build a tiered system of leaders. Here, put 50 people uh, underneath one judge and have those judges report to some higher ups and then to you. What are you doing? He's a workaholic. And worse and last, and this is where we're gonna land, he is angry. He is angry. He dealt with debilitating rage all his life. We join him in numbers. You've had plenty of time to turn there. If you have not turned there, I'm going to believe you don't have a phone that you can get on BibleGateway.com. Numbers 20, we encounter the fifth and final episode of Moses' rage. We're going to read the passage together and unpack it. Here we go. Verses 1 through 9. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. That's important. Seems like a random detail. It's important. Now, there was no water for the congregation. That just means all the people not the church, all the people. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Underline that. And the people quarreled with Moses, circle that, and said, would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here? both we and our cattle. And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. Milk and honey, baloney, nothing here. And there is no water to drink either. And then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that's where the presence of God was with the people, and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron and your brother, and tell the rock, the rock in the middle of the camp before the people, before their eyes to yield its water so you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Everything's going according to plan at this point, but I wanna go back and I wanna look at those two sections I told you to circle in verses two and three. And this is, this is when letdown and quarreling crushes your hopes and dashes your dreams, okay? Here's what's happening. The whole people of Israel are coming against Moses and they're doing it again. They're doing it for the 87,000th time, just like your kids have assembled against you, backed you into a corner and said, where's the food, mom? There's, there is literal fear taking place right here. 
They assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. And I want you to take note of two things. Sometimes we get it wrong when we think, oh, my anger is the problem. My anger is a bad thing. Once again, I've, I'm angry, so I've sinned against God. No, 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 no. God gets angry in the scriptures. Anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's a very natural human reaction that God has given us the ability to feel. It is like God. It is actually in some instances in his image. But if we don't dig deeper, if we don't get underneath the cause, what is causing that anger, then we're never going to be able to rightly sort out how to react and act out of our anger. Here's what's going on in these two sections. They assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. There is fear in Moses and Aaron. Fear, so often, perceived threat, something coming against us makes us angry. When, when things are not happening the way we want them to, disappointment, which is a feeling that comes out of an external letdown, something else let me down, disappointment causes us to be angry. It's often at the root of our anger. So remember that as we move through. Moses and Aaron are dealing with the exact same core emotions that you and I do today. Fear, the whole assembly has come together against us. And then disappointment, they're quarreling again. They're kvetching again. They're griping and complaining again. We haven't done enough for them again. I haven't been enough for them again. No matter what I do, I cannot accomplish what they want again. Fear and disappointment undergird our anger. Verses 10 through 13 moves on. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. Underline that. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, great, that was a great day, well done. You know, let's gather together and we'll do it again tomorrow. No, no, no. I think when we first read that, we stop there and think maybe that'll be God's response. Uh-uh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. There is a whole lot going on inside this passage. This first line I want you to focus on. Hear now, you rebels. 
Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? This is when your frustration and disappointment incite you to verbal violence. See, Moses spoke to the people, get this, instead of to the rock. He attacks with intent to eviscerate. This word rebel in the original language, in the Arabic, means his, his heart and the expression of his heart to the people was designed to rip, to scourge. It's as if he's taking a whip with razors on the end and lashing it across the people. He desires to rip them a new one. You feel that? In your daily life, do you get in your vehicle and leave work and wonder about doing that to somebody? I think we do, church. He's name-calling. He, he's name-calling parents. He has, he has deep reason for being frustrated. Read Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You will be shocked at what this guy endured. And as a parent, you might relate. The whole first generation of Israel comes right to the edge of the promised land. Two million slaves led out of bondage. Here's the promised land. Moses doing what God asked him to do, rescuing them from enormous odds and obstacles. And they stand on the edge of the promised land and they're like, nope, we want to go back to Egypt. And God is literally like, you can't take the promised land. This generation does not have enough faith, enough courage, enough belief in me to take the promised land. So you gotta wander for 40 years and that generation has to die off. You see it in this passage as they are the next generation. They are the children of the generation that died. And Moses is now 120 years old. Any of you grandparents out there a little bit angry? at your kids over how often you have to watch your grandkids? Because you don't have the resilience you had when you were 20 years old and raised them. After about 30 seconds flat of little Johnny trying to put you in a corner at 70 years old, you're sick of it. <laughs> Moses is 120, so he's got most of us, okay? His resilience has worn thin, and I want you to hear this. Our frustration with the people we love escalates conflict, and it deepens our emotional paradox. Meribah, the name of this place, literally means strife or contention. And it's not just talking about Israel with Moses or Israel with God or God with Moses. It's talking about Moses with Moses. Because he loves the people just like you love your spouse. And sometimes you're like, I want to choke them. When people are close to us and they disappoint us, that is when our investment in them creates expectation. Anytime you invest, you have that expectation. Anytime you have expectation, you have the potential for disappointment. When you're disappointed, if it's not resolved, it leads to anger. Telling you, anger is disappointment waiting in your chest, and here Moses just loses his crap. 
hear this, you rebels. Shall we? It's the second word I want to look at. Shall we bring you water from this rock? Here's the deal. When your frustration and disappointment incite you to self-justification, we're really, really getting into some deadly water. Okay, this is Moses literally moving from anger to absolute contempt. And he's looking at the people of Israel and he is justifying himself in his own eyes and he is decreasing their worth and their value and what they mean to God as God's chosen people. And this is what we do. Folks, this is what I do when I lash out at my kids in rage over my disappointment in them. When all I can think about and see is how right I am and how wrong they are. I begin to justify myself instead of, and, and, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, but this is justice, right? It's the opposite of what Jesus does with each one of us. Jesus gave himself to justify us. And that actually created justice. When we lose it, when we go on a verbal tirade against our children or our spouse or those closest to us because of the height of that disappointment inside of ourselves, what we're doing is we're demeaning them. We have contempt for them. And in so doing, we're, we think we're justifying ourselves and we're actually condemning ourselves because we are not acting as Jesus did for us in the self-sacrifice of his life. Now, I know that's hard. I get that. We actually, we're actually gonna see a, a helpful thing here coming up. So hold on before you just leave thinking, this is so sad and I'm done. Numbers 20, 11. And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. This is when our anger wrecks the gospel by our disobedience. See, when we start doing things like Moses is doing right now, and when, he's, when he over magnifies himself, when he puts himself up there as equal with God in the eyes of the one he's supposed to shepherd or the people he's supposed to care for, when we do that, we miss this embedded in the story and it is so powerful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, three and four. This is, this is what it reads. Our forefathers, that is Israelites, this is Paul talking about the past, all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual milk for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. Listen to me. God had put in Moses, he had made for Moses this testimony, this example to the people of Israel. What I do in your life, Moses, in your page turner is gonna forecast what I'm going to do with the Messiah. What I do in your existence and through your story is gonna bring for the Israelites a picture of my future salvation for them. The New Testament literally looks back to this moment as a major theological problem, as, as God, as the gospel of Jesus being demeaned. And here's why. In Exodus 17, a very similar story to this one occurs. 
It's with the first generation of Israelites. They're at a similar location. And God says to Moses, almost the same instruction. He says, go out. But he says to Moses, strike the rock. This is what that meant. This is what that illustrated for Israel and for us. That in the striking of the rock, just like Jesus would need to be crucified for us, that he would need to be bruised for our iniquities, pierced for our transgressions, that the punishment on him would bring us peace it says in Isaiah. That is what was being illustrated to the people of Israel. And here, Moses, taking things into his own hand, strikes the rock one time more, two times more. And in so doing, he begins to erode the message of Jesus. He begins to destroy the gospel by his disobedience. Listen to me. Our disappointment makes us want to speak to those people close to us, the kids, the spouse, the friends who have let us down because they haven't met our expectations. They're actually doing things wrong. And we want to speak to them instead of speaking to the rock. You get that? Moses was not told by God to speak to the people. He was not told by God to lecture the people. He was not told by God to say anything to the people. He was told to speak to the rock. He was told to speak to Jesus. He was told to go to the Lord in his anger, not to take his anger out on the people that he was supposed to be feeding. Does this begin to sound like us? Does this begin to sound like our life? Does this begin to sound like some of us as business owners that are just so frustrated with the people that work for you because they're idiots? Speak to the rock that is Jesus. Take your angst, your frustration, your fury, your rage to the Lord who is your savior. He's listening. In Exodus 24, Moses actually got this right. This is earlier. Moses is furious. He's fed up with that first generation. And instead of yelling and screaming and going on a tirade in that instance, he yells and screams. I am telling you, it is logoria of the mouth. It is an attack on God. He bellows. He cries out. He, he assassinates God's character in this discussion with God. And you know what God calls that instance in Exodus 24? A righteous prayer. And he rewards Moses and the people by feeding them because Moses spoke to the rock. He spoke to God and he fed the people. We are going to be enraged by disappointment. We're going to experience things at different stages of our lives that let us down. I want to encourage you today to take your anger to the Lord, to cry out to God, and to, in obedience, with your spouse that for the 87,000th time has done that thing that you can't stand when you're driving along and that car is 500 yards away and the lights come on that they're breaking and they go, ah! 
and you just want to punch a hole in the windshield. Don't take it out on her. Give it to Jesus. Numbers 20, 12. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me. Circle that. This is when our anger messes up our relationship with God. It's not just, it's not just fueling a wrong image of Jesus for those that are close to us. This is when our anger actually begins to put barriers between us and God. See, disappointment comes when the rules start changing around us. I told you in Exodus 17, this exact same scenario took place. They're wandering, they need water. Moses is like, this is what Moses is saying to God, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm giving you his inner dialogue. God, we walked through this before. I strike the, walk, the rock, water comes out. How come you're changing the rules? How come you're changing the rules, God? And what strikes me and what struck me digging through this is the frequency that we as followers of God get really angry when the rules start changing. This is a stupid analogy, but it's the thing that I notice all the times that Christians do. You guys ever go over and have a game night with other believers? And about five minutes in, everybody hates each other because he broke the rule. He, this, no, it's not news. You see right there, read right there. Well, I interpret that different than you. It, it's, it's a very small example, but now, now go watch a football game with some major fan of some major NFL team. You're not going to make it three minutes into that game without that person jumping up, screaming at the television. That rule got broke. That's not right. That stupid referee. Do you know in 2019, we are double the number of attacks on referees and umpires in our culture. And I'm not talking about professional sports. And I'm not talking about collegiate sports. I'm talking about middle school sports. <laughs> Parents are so pent up with expectation that's getting disappointed because that kid can't do what they want him to do, that they're taking it out on the referees physically. Double the number of attacks since 2010 because the rules got changed and I don't like it. Moses is tired. He's, he's tired. He's weary here. He's irritated that things aren't like they used to be. He's frustrated with this second generation of kids that seem to be repeating the same mistakes of the former generation. He's impatient with them. And, and this, this new patience of God for them makes him angry. He wants what worked before to work again. He doesn't have the resilience he had before. And so instead of listening to God in a new thing, a changing thing, he resorts to what he's known in the past and acts out of a belief in something other than God. And God calls him on it. He says, Moses, Moses, you didn't believe me. This, this is a massive 
fracture in the relationship. It's such a short phrase that we miss it. This is something we are so prone to and susceptible to as followers of God. When our plan doesn't happen the way we want it to, when what we expected does not occur the way we thought it should, when we did what we thought we were supposed to do and a different result occurred, we very, very frequently react and recoil with fury instead of believing God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. The passage moves on, says this, 12 and 13. Because you did not believe in me and uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, contention and strife, remember that, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord and through them he showed himself holy. Listen to these two phrases lodged there. To uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. And through them, through the quarreling people of Israel, God showed himself holy. This is when our anger messes with the reputation of God. This is when in public places, you who are known as a follower of God, do something that absolutely dismantles God's ability to show his glory, his holiness, his set-apartness. This is the boardroom where you went berserk. And it was icky. It's the classroom where you absolutely lost it on a student. And it wasn't good. This is the gym room where you were so furious about something that happened that you spoke about someone else in the community in an incredibly degrading, contemptuous way. This is the work room. This is the, this is the public place of your employment where you took all your tools in absolute fury at whatever happened and you threw them into the assembly line and knocked out thousands of dollars of equipment. This is social media. This is your Twitter feed, your YouTube channel. This is all these nice little opportunities to comment and stay anonymous. It's Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram. The places where you see public rage more and more and more frequently and you see the reputation of God as it pertains to you start to drop. See, we take God's holiness and we make it profane. We take God's specialness and we make it common. We take God's testimony in us, people that are watching our story, that are watching our book, that are, that are waiting to see how that page is gonna turn. And instead of making much of God the way he's called us to, just like Moses, we actually demean him before others by our rage and our furious outburst. I want to leave you with this. 
God says to Moses, because of what you've done, you can't take the people into the promised land. It's an incredibly sad moment, this moment. This fifth tirade of Moses' life, the final straw for God. But you know what? I think God recognized that there's an issue in Moses' life that he is now past in his maturity, that he, he didn't resolve this conflict according to God. And so for the sake of the Israelites, Moses could not be the one to take them forward into the promised land. This, this is when sometimes our public display actually causes God to have to peel away his protection and say, I need you to deal with the natural consequences of what your anger has done. Because if I don't let you experience the natural consequences of your anger, there will be no further growth. You need to feel what you've done. And there are times when God in his great and enormous love for us actually does that. See what this did. There are times because he loves us so much that God allows us embarrassment. So we can see ourselves with all of the rose-colored glasses peeled away. Moses, Moses, you can't take the people into the promised land. But God doesn't leave us there. There's this amazing conclusion to the book of Deuteronomy where God takes Moses, his boy, A man who lived his whole life as faithful as he could takes his boy up to the top of the mountain. He says, look, look at all that. I want you to see it before you go. You're at the end, but I'm taking the people. I'm still God, and I'm going to take them into the promised land. And if that wasn't enough, Moses dies there. And the only one in the Bible recorded as buried by God is Moses. That God loved him so much, he performed the last rites of Moses' funeral. It's Moses and God looking over the promised land. And here's what I want to leave you with. It is Moses who shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration to meet Jesus. I don't care how bad your rage has been. I don't care where you feel like you've broken every vessel, that you've annihilated every relationship. I don't care if you think it's done and it's over for you. It's not because Jesus is not in the grave anymore he rose and on the mount of transfiguration Moses and Elijah get to be there and to see the final promise not the promised land not the people of Israel but the result of God's faithfulness in his life and that same God will be faithful to you I want you to talk to him about your rage. 
I want you to get in community. I want you to get in a life group. I want you to get in celebrate recovery. I want you to get serious about letting God do something about the rage inside yourself. And I promise there will be transfiguration in your life because your character will start to look like the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I assure you of that. We're gonna sing, we need to move again, because we do. Thanks.